Don't drink bleach. This is what it's come to America. The number one trending topic on Twitter. Mr. Trump has given his advice on, you know, potential things we should look into. He was kidding, of course, right? Wink, wink. Joe Biden tweeted, I can't believe it's come to this, but please don't drink bleach. This is America in 2020. I am Gerardo Del Real along with my co-host, Mr. Nick Hodge. This is episode 67 of Bizarro World. We're going to talk unemployment. We're going to talk oil, gold, silver, uranium, the dollar. But before we get to it, Mr. Hodge, how are you today, sir? I'm doing good. And also before we get to it, I believe that also applies to uh, not drinking Lysol, uh, nor, nor, nor injecting it. Let's not just address the ingesting. Let's, let's address the injecting as well. So, um, does President Trump know that we can see him when he gives these press conferences and like the video like thing that happens when they record him uh, stays like permanently and that they can replay that um, and that we can see it when he says these things? Or does he just assume, you know what, I can backtrack on anything because my base will defend me and it doesn't really matter. And is that really, I ask every week it seems, but is that really where we're at as a country? I mean, I think the answer to yes, yes is, oh, I think the answer man. to both is yes, right? Um, you saw the doctor, the female doctor, <laughs> facial response when he was saying that stuff. It was like the, you know, Larry David intro. Come on. Listen, everybody, if you are one of the people that believes he was being sarcastic and you've seen the footage, um, I, 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 I wish you all the best. I, I, I don't know what to say to you. Um, other, I'm going to tell you, let me, I'm going to tell you a story about uh, this newsletter marketing promotion once that was a scam, right? Um, and I might have told the story promotion business. <laughs> exactly. And I might've told this story once before on this podcast, if I did, and you've heard it, uh, apologies, but it went something like this. It was about, um, betting on football games and who was going to win the Super Bowl. Um, and but the email uh, newsletter promoter split the list in half. Um, and so, you know, on one day, obviously one team would lose and one day would win. So he would be right to half the list and he continued split, splitting the list in half. So he would always be right to half the list betting on games. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Um, so and so so one list thought he was always right. <laughs> oh, um, my God. <laughs> you, do you know what I'm saying? Going through it. And that's sort of like the Trump promotion. Right. Because it's like. You know, just last week we were talking about how he was tweeting about, you know, liberate whatever, liberate Michigan, liberate um, all these states. All the states with democratic governors, right. Right. And then Georgia goes ahead and does it exactly what he was saying. And he backtracks on it, right? Just like he was like splitting the list in half and and sending in an an opposite answer to both, right? And then you can say, you can claim either one. And again, we're going to get right into Georgia because... Once again, the reason I brought up the don't drink bleach and don't shoot, you know, Lysol and Clorox into your lungs and veins and all the other silly stuff that sounds silly and it sounds crazy. I didn't say it. The president said it. Um, The reason I'm bringing it up is because it has real life implications. Um, You know, just a week or so ago, he was tweeting liberate, you know, all these states. And now we have his buddy, the governor in Georgia saying, fuck, yeah, let's do it. And so now what he's doing is he is reopening the most vulnerable sectors. It's not even the most productive part of the Georgia economy, Nick. It's like massage parlors and tattoo places and hair salons and coffee shops. Um, 
fitness gyms, uh, bowling alleys. I mean, like if you're going to reopen your state because you only have 30 days in the reserve fund and you're not taking in any taxes and you're afraid that your state is going to go bankrupt because like most of America, you didn't save for a rainy day. That's on you to reopen just the, the, the least productive parts of the economy with little to no testing available to anybody um, on, on, you know, hype from a president who just says shit for no apparent reason, not based in fact, no medical basis, just says it to say it. Um, it seems dangerous to me and I think people are going to get hurt and we could have a separate discussion. I'm glad to have it. If you want to do that about, you know, is it, we, we talked a little bit last week, but is it time to reopen and can we do it in a, in a responsible way? I do believe there is a responsible way to do it. Sweden has done it. They never went into lockdown and you know, they, 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 there's, there's a debate there about how ineffective it was for the older, more vulnerable part of the population, but it's actually been pretty effective for the healthier, younger portion of that population. And it now believes, Sweden believes that it will have, you know, herd immunity up to 60% people um, within, within a couple of weeks. So that's a whole nother discussion, but the president's words have a real effect with the people that believe in this guy blindly. And that includes governors, unfortunately. Um, and of course, a week later, even President Trump has to get up and denounce this guy because I'm sure the doctors in his own administration have told him this isn't going to likely end well for Georgia. So this is the way to get ahead of it and distance yourself from what's coming. Um, any thoughts there, Nick? I mean, yeah, there's a lot there. Uh, one, we're going to see, right? We're going to see um, who chooses to open and not, you know, you're hearing stories uh, on both sides of that, right? Uh, business owners in Georgia saying they, they can't wait to open back up and others saying this guy's crazy. We're, we're not opening back up yet. Um, you, you know, you, you talk about the people that believe Trump talking about the, the bleach and the Lysol and stuff. And there's not much I can do for those people, though. I am uh, sympathetic, right? Um, to what that's doing overall to, to America and our view of uh, uh, our, the way the, the world views us, et cetera. Um, at the same time, um, you know, there's a lot of interesting information coming out now that, that I think we've got to talk about. And I think yep. that everyone is seeing. Right. Yep. Um, and, and it all does come back to the testing, to be sure, which which we've been saying for a, a long time. Some of these the data that's coming out now is very um, interesting and it yes. says a lot, but it doesn't really. Um, conclude anything until we can show that across a broad spectrum and not just the niche, um, small sample sizes that that data is coming from now. So let's talk about the data. You know what I'm going to say. It's why, you know, Porter Stansberry wrote a big digest about it this week. I think a lot of Americans were starting to feel this way already and sort of, I guess the word is be suspicious about how, you know, why isn't this virus, you know, we hear about New York, New York, New York but rural areas and other cities haven't been affected as badly. And so the data is saying, um, you know, a, a couple of things, namely that um, it, it's the virus is, has likely been spreading in America much earlier than thought, likely um, since December or January, um, and that it's infected a lot more people than um, is being officially reported because they're now testing people that are exhibiting antibodies. And so we're talking up to 20, 30 times more, right? We're not talking like, you know, a factor of right, two, a by lot the way. more, a lot in more. some cases, 50 or 60 or yep. 70 times more yep. in, in some locales. Right. Um, 
And so people hear this and they're saying, well, if, if, you know, 50 times as many people had it and the death rate is what the death rate is, then it's not as bad as or dangerous as advertised. And so, um, you know, there's people are going to debate all kinds of things, right? People are going to have confirmation bias and people already believe certain things. And they, so they only read articles that, you know, tell them what they already believe or that confirm what they already believe. And so at the end of the day, uh, you know, Gerardo, we, the, the tests, the daily tests being done in the U.S. are still at the same rate uh, that they were a week ago, right? The, the tests are still not increasing. And so and, that's And, and really let's where, stop real quick the right there, stops. Nick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have to emphasize that because we've been talking about this for weeks. And again, this goes back to this administration. And I don't care what political party you're a fan of. This administration is lying to the American public. Let's be absolutely clear. We had Vice President Pence get up a month ago and promise us that within a, within weeks, we would be up to 4 million tests. Um, here in Texas, a state of 29 million people, give or take a few, um, we're, 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 we've tested less than 1% of the population. And, and we are doing a staged reopen a little bit at a time. Um, and we'll talk about that in a bit. I actually agree with it. But it's, it's, it's not the administration being disingenuous with us. It is straight up lying. And, and, and again, whatever party you're a fan of, we need to hold our elected leaders to some sort of accountability when it's costing people their life. I mean, these are lives that are being lost because we weren't ready. And, and, and when we realized we weren't ready and wasted a month or two, sitting on our ass, not doing anything, not preparing then we resorted not to getting ready, but to lying about how ready we would be. And that can't be the standard moving forward, everybody. Sorry to cut in, Nick. I just thought that 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 merited a, a pause really quick. No, that was it. And so uh, here we are. The damage has been done, at least economically. I've been dividing this in two since the beginning. You've mm. got the virus and then you've got the response to the virus. And the response to the virus is very real, no matter what the infection rate turns out to be, no matter um, what the death rate turns out to be, the the amount of fiscal response and monetary response. And I mean, it just frankly, businesses closed and people out of the job is real. I mean, there's and now that has to be dealt with. And so, um, you know, the debate surrounding that is also very interesting. I was watching Bloomberg this morning and, you know, the talking head on there was saying um, the way his firm is modeling it. I forget which firm it was, but um, he was saying that, you know, it went down so fast. And with such velocity that, and it was man-made. Remember the phrase "man-made" because I want to get back to that. Mm. Um, <laughs> it can it, it can go back up um, just as fast as it went down, right? That was sort of like his argument. He had on a suit and tie, and so you know, it sounded kind of smart when he said it. And I was standing there making my breakfast, and I was thinking about it, and I was like, "Well, what crisis wasn't man-made? Like, was was like mm. nature like?" turning mortgages into like making derivatives on mortgages in 2007. Was that like an organic mm. phenomenon? You know what I mean? And yeah. So, did nature buy uh, back 96% of its stock with no its doubt. cash flow or 90 use 96% of its free cash flow to buy back its stock? No. A hundred percent. And so like, <laughs> I instantly, in my mind, I was just running through that and I was like, that's total bullshit, man. Like, um, you know, I mean, all these problems that the virus has exposed are certainly man-made and man done. And, um, well, we'll see if they're going to be undone, but that's sort of what we're watching 
um, day to day. And it's interesting because, you know, I know we're going to turn to the market and, and talk about all kinds of other stuff. But I mean, for 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 uh, crying out loud, oil was nearly negative $50 a barrel this week. I mean, that's just like one thing, right? You know what? I wrote my newsletter yesterday. It was like 1,400 words. And I got to the end and I was like, holy shit, I didn't even get to oil. And it traded negative for the first time ever. It's a sad state of affairs where that's what like caused me to laugh the hardest all week long. And I, anybody that knows me knows I have the sense of humor of a 12-year-old. And I, I, I'm generally laughing a mile a minute at most things all day. There was something really odd about seeing the price of oil go negative $50 <laughs> that even right now, you know, it ended up closing um, the May contract ended up expiring at $10 a barrel. But, um, you know, all like economic destruction aside, right? I'm in Texas where a certain part of of, of, of the state depends on, on a healthy and robust oil and gas sector. But there was just something that was so 2020 about a negative 50 buck a barrel print, right? Um, it's just nuts this year. Well, I mean, obviously, first time ever. We talked about firsts and evers last week, right? And here's another one. Oil goes negative for the first time ever. And not like negative a dollar or negative two dollars, <laughs> negative whatever the official number was, $47 a barrel or something. And then the spin is just incredible to me. It's like, um, oh, because it was you know, the front month rolling off the end of May contracts or whatever. It's because of the storage. It's like, yeah, numb nuts. But like the storage is full because 96% of air traffic is not there. And similar numbers in restaurant attendance and driving, et cetera. Like, sure, it's a storage issue, but that's not like the fundamental reason why oil demand is absolutely um, cratered. And uh, anyway, so, you know, I think we're going to get a similar phenomenon this month. I mean, that's certainly we're not going to burn through that oil in a month. There's not going to be a better storage situation in the in the next couple of weeks. And yeah, I mean, writing on the wall, we said that last week as well. Like, look at the oil price. I mean, it's clearly telling you that things aren't um, so good economically. And then the response just gets absolutely crazy. Like an hour before uh, we, we got on to record this, I saw uh, headlines coming across <laughs> about the going. U.S. The U.S. is talking about basically nationalizing energy companies, either taking direct stakes in them or uh, and it's just ask nine ideas. They're going to buy the U.S. government is going to buy plane tickets in advance. Like that's one of the ideas. I mean, it's just like absolute. And we got to say the title of the podcast. It's bizarre. Stop and think about that. The, the administration, the Trump administration, the president of the United States and his group of uh, very fine people. Are, are talking about buying airplane tickets for the future with taxpayer dollars. This is nuts. Yeah. I mean, we went it's from, insane. you remember Tina, right? We talked about Tina and we joked oh, about yeah. Tina, right? We, we, did we go from Tina to like America being like the biggest swinger country in the world, right? It went from like, there is no other option to like, everything is an option now, right? Let's I mean, buy plane tickets. Let's, did you read about this Monty Be- Bennett guy? I, I think was his name, Monty Bennett. Um, I didn't. Oh God, this is this sweetheart, right? So the paycheck protection program was the federal program that was meant to benefit small businesses. We now know that as a result of algorithms, supposedly in a formula devised by our government, um, places like Harvard and Stanford and Columbia Ivy league schools didn't even have to apply for the aid. Harbor said, we never applied, we didn't need it, we didn't request it, and we won't accept it. It was just allocated to them 
because of the amount of Pell Grant recipients was, which was a part of the algorithm, a part of the formula that, that the, 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 the part of the program and the federal funds that were set aside bump, it, it bumped them up to the top of the list because of the amount of Pell Grant recipients that Harvard took irrespective of whether they needed the money or not. And of course they didn't because they have a 40 fucking billion dollar endowment, right? That's Crazy. one. <laughs> Enter Monty Bennett, who's, you know, big Dallas uh, businessman, owns a lot of very nice hotels there. I've stayed at a couple of them. Big Donald Trump donor. This guy and his subsidiaries have re has received approximately $30 million from that paycheck protection program that was meant to go towards small businesses. This is a guy who, you know, just contributed a couple of hundred thousand dollars to PAC committees that support President Trump. Again, you can support who you want and do what you want with the capital. But don't turn around and tell me that you need $30 million from a program that's meant for small businesses. And then he, this guy's got the nerve to lay off 95% of his staff, pay himself a $2 million dividend. And, and the total number wasn't $30 million. I'm, I'm, I'm incorrect. I apologize. It was $46 million in PPP loans. I mean, this is nuts, guys. This this is nuts. And again, it, it just speaks to the privilege and the access. And then, you know, we, we've said you better get yourself a lobbyist if you ever want to, you know, lift yourself up by your bootstraps here in this country. Um, that needs to change. That needs it's to like change. It's like they've automated the oligopoly. Yes. That's a beautiful way of putting it. It's I I I I long for fiscal conservatives, right? I'm I am like that 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 story where I, I my parents came here illegally in the late 70s. I was lucky enough to be born in in in, in the United States. I'm, I'm a US citizen. My parents worked their ass off under the Reagan administration. They were able to apply and get their citizenship. They did that. You know, they paid all their back taxes. They showed that they they had been paying taxes under a different social security number. Yada, yada, yada. We moved on. Here we are. You know, my brother is successful. Sister's successful. I'm relatively successful. We're doing well and trying to give back and, and trying to contribute and doing things the right way. And so I long for the days where, you know, I, I could look at a Republican party and say, well, if I'm a fiscal conservative, which I consider myself to be, yes, we have somebody that we can vote for, whether it's a city election or a, or a municipal election or a state election or, or the presidency, right? Or I look at the other side with Democrats and say, I, I'm also a big fan of a social safety net. You know, I believe those things can, can, can coexist simultaneously. I think there's an efficient way to allocate capital to make sure that the most vulnerable amongst us are, you know, provided a, a, a safety net. And I think that we're so wasteful in this country now that it really doesn't matter who you vote for. We've talked about this a million times. The one thing both sides can always agree on, we got proof again this week, is, is spending, just spending my kids' future money because they're going to end up paying it in taxes. I'm going to end up paying it in taxes. It's insane. It's insane. Um, well, it's the reason I'm a libertarian and it's the reason that, you know, the cartoon, Gerardo, it's the mm. reason the March of Liberty or the March of Tyranny continues, right? I mean, uh, they collude to keep the third party out. And uh, while I'm not well-versed on uh, Mr. Justin Amash, you might be, um, it seems like the libertarians are trying to get him to to run as a libertarian for president, which would be interesting to see. Um, likely doesn't have a shot, of course, but I'm always interested in seeing those things. 
I as well. Uh, you and I share very similar political beliefs, and you know we talk about the fourth journey every week. So I think anybody that 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 that's listened to this or has spoken with us for more than ten minutes at a time kind of knows which way we we no pun intended swing right. Like everybody mm-hmm. knows which which way we lean. So let's get to the markets. Here we are, twenty minutes into it, and no, we haven't even talked markets. Um, gold closed at seventeen twenty five ish, silver fifteen nineteen ish, uh, copper two thirty one ish. And oil at $17.11 a barrel. And I, I, I take my gold number back. It actually surged here in the last hour or so. Closing at a pretty impressive 17.26. It hit a high of 17.38 earlier today before pulling back a bit. Um, let's start with gold. Mr. Brian London is um, someone that, that that's seen many cycles and always says that there's not a bull market in resources unless gold is leading the way and has a bull market of its own. I definitely believe we're in one. Your thoughts on gold, where it's at. Um, and what do you what do you think happens over the next week or two, Nick? Uh, gold is strong. It's increasingly uh, being recognized as a safe haven. We have to mention the Bank of America report out this week, in fact, calling it the ultimate Uh, Haven, right? Uh, The title of the report was the Fed can't print gold, uh, talking about increasing their price target to $3,000 an ounce in the next 18 months and really just um, citing all the reasons that, you know, you and I could uh, recite as Bible verse from low interest rates that are here to stay to uh, debt to an arresting of the economy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so, um, it, it's strong. I mean, it's it's going to the mainstream now. Uh, big banks are putting out reports on it. Um, you know, it's it's proved its luster, so to speak, in one of the best performing assets of, of Q1. Hmm. Um, and now, um, you know, what we kind of got to talk about is, is what you said all along is, you know, here we have stocks retracing a lot of their losses. Hmm. Um could in a very way go back up. But like you say, gold leading, right? So even I got to talk about Bloomberg again because they were (laughs) talking about it again on Bloomberg this morning, the same exact thing. Um, Was it Bloomberg or Andrew Ross Sorkin? I think it was Bloomberg. It was. It was the host saying, um, the morning host saying, um, citing gold strength, which they rarely do anyway, but talking about gold strength and then, but noting it um, in the face of a strong dollar um, and uh, a rising market, which you would, uh, typically think, uh, you know, rising dollar, not rising gold, but but here they are uh, not only rising together, as you said, but being mentioned in mainstream media sources, uh, as you said, and and quite frankly, uh, looking good. I see the phones ringing for financings. I saw, uh, what did I see? A Bluestone 80 million bought deal this week. I mean, money's moving around. So uh, strong for sure. Yeah, Silver Silvercrest got its uh, you know, over oversubscribed uh, I think it was what 100 million or something like that after the debacle with National Bank. It's a whole another story we'll talk about another day that was interesting, but somebody's getting fired over there. Um Silver still doing what what it's done, right? Kind of trading as an industrial metal at 1519, copper hanging in there. I think, you know, the price discovery process with copper has it's kind of played itself out. It looks like we're pretty damn close to 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 a, a solid, solid base, and then oil again. What a week we touched on it. We got to get to uranium. Um, we finally got the nuclear fuel working group recommendations. Those came out. I believe the report came out, and it's been a heck of a week. Was it yesterday, Nick? 
Uh, the report was released to the press Wednesday afternoon. Yeah. And yeah. Then, so the, the information was disseminated Thursday, basically. Yeah. Correct. Um, many of the better names, and there's not a lot, right? There's the UECs of the world, the energy fuels, the Azarga uraniums, a couple of other ones. But, you know, they were up 30, 35% before the release of the report. And then they pulled back and retraced. And, you know, they're, they're still obviously up for the week, doing well. Um, but it seemed like... Everybody again, and then this is this is what happens when we start nationalizing financial markets, as Jim Bianco has so has so craftily, you know, named it. Um, everybody, I think, just expected, despite you know the the the, the very aggressive recommendations and and very aggressive support um, to reestablish a, a a domestic uranium supply chain. Um, I think a lot of people expected that everybody was going to be sent a, a, a briefcase full of cash, you know, with Lysol and a light strobe and, uh, and, and all was going to be well. Right. And, and, and that wasn't the case there, 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 there's a lot in there to like, but I couldn't help but notice the psychology of the stocks going up 30, 35% beforehand. And then, you know, kind of shooting its shot and then pulling back. Right. Thoughts on the report. I know you read it. I read it. I'd love to hear your take on it. Uh, well, the, the stocks definitely sold the news. It's good to see uh, support, albeit maybe not what, you know, companies or the market was expecting. Uh, but nonetheless, a commitment to purchasing 7 to 19 million pounds starting uh, this year and, and a number of other things. We can put a link up to the to the bullets of all the things included in the report. Um, most importantly for me, I think, is a closing of the chapter, right? Mm. Um, so if you go back and you look at a chart of uranium stocks, it's absolutely disgusting, first of all. <laughs> um, and then <laughs> uh, once you get over your self-disgust, you'll see that um, they sh they sold down really hard in July. And so if they were down like 80% or 85% since Fukushima, then they went down like 90 or 95%. And so they really only got back to... Uh, where they were on this announcement now, which has been delayed since last July, several, several, several months now. Um, it seems like 10 can, years ago. <laughs> I, it certainly does. But hopefully, not only can we call that like a closing of the chapter, but we can call it like a closing of the gap, right? So uh, the stocks got back to where they were before this announcement was expected, and we can now move on. And frankly, um, you know, two months ago, I wasn't quite excited about, you know, moving on in the uranium space. But given the events that have transpired, the nuclear fuel working group notwithstanding, um, and maybe even withstanding, because it ultimately is a net positive, or maybe, although maybe not as positive as, as we'd like. But the other things now in the industry are, are much more important, I think, than uh, a government handout in the United States for basically a handful of domestic companies, right? I mean, you got no production coming out of Canada. I got to recite the stuff now, Gerardo. Sorry. Cigar Fine. Lake offline. Yep. Uh, Kazakhstan offline, 40%. Cameco's got to come in and, and buy contracts now. And oh, by the way, uh, if uranium is a demand thing, now you've got more demand with another mm. buyer in the US government coming into the market. And so um, it, it's, a, it's positive for the, for the sector. Companies that you and I are involved with and that sponsor uh, the site have been able to raise money or are raising money um, oversubscribed, even in the case of Azarga. And so um, I'm confident, you know, I, I don't think uranium is something you ever bet the house on. But if you're 
you know, interested in, in speculating on something that provides outsized returns when the cycle comes. I mean, the cycle is, I can smell it. I mean, the, the utilities, even if we thought they were coming back in two or three years, that timeline has now been shortened. And so um, you're getting into the realm now, even if it's 18 months, that even if you were poo-pooing uranium before, mm. um, it's, time to, it's time to start looking at it, right? Absolutely. Well said. I think all of the fundamentals are in place for a ripping and roaring uranium bull market. Oh, and sorry, sorry, I'm sorry to cut you off. No. Just one more thing. Um, I don't know if we've talked about UXC on here, but it's basically come to light through, um, you know, Satchem Cove, uh, which is a, a new uranium fund. Um, that's been working to expose, you know, the lack of credibility in UXC's numbers, which the utilities rely on. And 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 thanks to Jordan Trimble for, you know, relaying this information to me and, and I'm sure you as well. Yep. Um, you know, the utilities are now starting to realize that maybe the they don't have as much time and there's not as much uranium as they thought. Right. And so just another another domino. Right. And again, let's be clear for 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 these utilities. They could care less whether they pay $30 or $60 or $90. It's such a minute input in the overall scheme of things for them that it's more about the security of supply than what they pay for that supply. Would you agree with that, Nick? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, and it's got to be higher anyway. So the thing we didn't even mention was the price, which the last one I saw was $33 a pound spot. I haven't seen it today. I mean, you can't contract at that price. It's got to be $50 a pound, right? I mean, otherwise, there's the, the, the producer's not going to contract because they're not making money. So, I mean, yeah, it's got to go. It's got to go to 40 and then it's got to go to 50 And so that just is what it is. I can't tell you when that's going to happen, but that's what has to happen. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, not an if question, a when question for sure. At, which it's always been. Yep. Agreed. Nick, do you have any happy stories for me? Are we to happy stories already? Not yet. Talk about the, Not yet. I'll talk about, yeah, I do. I have an Apple story. You want it? Uh, an app, and, and, and I read this Apple story and it, it, I thought of you when I read it and I, I kind of figured you'd put it up and I saw it here um, on the list right before we jumped on, but I am all ears. Um, it, it, this is a good one. Well, we'll put a link up, but, um, you know, back in the day, pioneers were planting a, a lot of apples, you know, Johnny Appleseed, all that, walking around, putting down seeds, trees popping up all over the place, right? Uh, presidents chopping them down, all kind of fables about apple trees. Um, but there used to be like thousands of kinds of apples. I, I don't have the article in front of me, but I think it was 17,000 kinds of apples there used to be. And now we have uh, only a tiny fraction of that due to, you know, industrialized farming, selecting the best strains, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but a program is underway. I'm desperately trying to find the link. I'll come across it in a second. Uh, but to find these old apple trees, basically, right? So, you know, a group of scientists, botanists, uh, other scientists in that field have got together and, you know, they go out looking for these old um, species of apples. And to me, the way they find it was like the most fascinating part. So they get like um, old sales records from government and uh, farmers markets and agricultural sales in rural areas that have records of who bought what kind of apple. Hmm. Um, and then they, they also use like uh, maps and old newspapers and things like that to find where the orchards may have been. And then they go and they try to find these old orchards. And lo and behold, because it's a fruit, obviously, they see it every year. Some of these apples are still around. And so over the years, uh, they've been able to find uh, a couple here or there. Uh, and then they tag them and they bring the apples back. They get them DNA tested to prove they're new. 
um, et cetera. And this year they were they were able to find many more apples than they typically find. And I just thought it was fascinating because, you know, they're now going to they go back in the winter and they graft the apple tree, you know, cut off a part of the apple tree so they can splice it onto a new uh, base system or whatever to start reproducing these apples. And uh, as you know, that's kind of stories right up my alley, but it's also right here in my backyard. And so when I saw it, I was just intrigued. I love it. I love it. That's um, that is a happy story and an intriguing one. And one we'll put a link up to. Um, we got to talk about uh, drone temperature checks in America. Never let a good crisis go to waste. I believe those were the words of Rahm Emanuel, um, former right hand guy to Bill Clinton and his administration. And, you know, the angle that, 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 that I, I've been looking for is how this crisis was going to be used to take the privacy and rights, civil liberties away from everyday Americans like myself, because typically in a time of crisis, that's what government looks to do. And so I'm very curious to hear about the antibody passports and drone temperature checks in the U.S. possibly, Nick. Well, we've talked about the rights grab on this show before, even in relation to to COVID. I believe I talked about an MIT a review article that was, you know, I call these like planting the seeds, right? It was like yep. a think piece a month or two ago, like, you know, to, to be able to beat this virus, we're going to have to track you through your smartphone. And that's like the smart way to do this. And so you could sort of like sense it coming. Um, but now they're talking about, and I say they, whoever they is, right? Think tanks, NGOs, um, influencers, billionaires, whatever they, right? Um, are talking about passports. So you, we were talking about antibody tests earlier and how many people have likely had this test or have likely had this virus that now have antibodies in it. Well, one idea uh, being championed is some sort of antibody passport or like a, a pass-fail card or app that you have to have to be able to go in public, right? To say, I have the antibodies or I have been infected, right? Uh, which is, uh, you know, that's a slippery slope to be sure. Something that I don't think I can, I can, be in favor of um, or support even in the name of, of public safety, because it's always in the name of public safety, right, Gerardo? And yeah, it's absolutely like, it's like, not. <laughs> w- where does it stop is then the question. And we've seen the Patriot Act and we know how this goes. And, you know, this isn't a new topic for this podcast, whether it's how Facebook uses your data or the Snowden stuff at NSA, I mean, and on and on. And then I was reading uh, just today about a Connecticut police department that had an official plan uh, to use drones uh, in public places to do aerial temperature scanning of, of people. And um, to me, that's also sort of a, a, a no-no, right? Even uh, unconstitutional search and seizure when you're talking about you have to consent to give someone your saliva or consent uh, to give someone your blood. That's going to be a court case, right? It's not going to yep. be decided on the Bizarro World podcast, but um, can you fly over and, and take somebody's temperature? I don't know. Somebody's going to sue and we go to the Supreme Court and we'll see. But those are sort of the things that I'm, I'm worried about and that I'm seeing and that are definitely being proposed and that are, are worth keeping an eye on for sure. Absolutely. I have a happy story to share. Let me hear. The U.S. Navy's top officials are now recommending that Captain Crozier, and I know I probably messed up his last name again, but this was the captain that was relieved of duty, fired, after sounding the alarm about his men and, you know, his, his, his people having, uh, not needing to die because of a coronavirus outbreak and, and he wanted to address it and for making that, um, for reaching out and trying to defend his people, he was, he was relieved of his duties. So the U S Navy's top officials are now recommending, 
um, that the captain be reinstated. I think it's the least they could do. I think, um, you know, the fact that um, his, 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 his men and, and his group um, were so, so supportive um, as he was leaving and, and, and subsequently, right, speaks to the caliber and, 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 and quality of his character. And um, yeah, that made me smile. You know, that, 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 that put a smile on my face. It uh, gives me a little bit of hope that with some public pressure, um, you know, our government can do the right thing <laughs> every now no and doubt. then. There have been flashes of that throughout the crisis, whether mm. it's that example that you just say or Harvard giving back the money or the, the restaurant chain saying they'll give back the money or whatever it is. There's, a, at least for me, a, a sense that, you know, there's more there's more pushback this time um, that, um, you know, the people aren't going to stand for the, the bailouts. Uh, Etc. And so uh, that's sort of the the positive, right? That's like the the benefit of this whole uh, fourth turning angle. And um, hopefully we get some good stimulus ideas. You know, I, I meant to talk about this earlier when you were mentioning copper, and we were talking about uranium, and I didn't get a chance to sneak it in. But um, one article I read today was about you know converting the uh, USPS fleet to electric. Right? Um, I thought that was a good idea. Absolutely. They've been around since 1994. They get 10 miles a gallon, uh, would eliminate um, the air pollution, the noise pollution, et cetera. I think stuff like that is a good idea. And and hopefully we see more of it. And the reason I wanted to mention it in reactors was, you know, what's what better infrastructure project than, and I mentioned this in a letter this week, than building new nuclear reactors, right, which are um, not only clean and green, which I think you're going to see a, a lot more emphasis behind green projects, especially with the oil price uh, so low. And also, and sorry for going on a tangent now, but, um, you know, you got all these cities that can like see their skylines for the first time. They get like, I've seen all these pictures about how people that live, whatever, 30, 40 miles from a mountain range, haven't seen the mountain range in 15 years. They've now been able to see the mountain range um, because all the emissions are down from people not driving, flying, Etc. That's not going to be lost on a lot of people. And I'm not talking about climate change here. I'm just talking about pollution and smog um, and health and natural beauty. And so, um, you know, I see the dots being connected. This is another theme we've talked about. But, mm-hmm. uh, could you imagine building nuclear plants or small nuclear plants now powered by um, uranium that we're, we're kicking off a domestic program for? I don't know. Things are just starting to make sense, I think. I, I agree. And that's and yeah. one more thing. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I got to go. I told you when the fourth turning or I said when the, what, the, what the fourth turning book says is all these problems that we had that we couldn't articulate solutions to become crystal clear when the crisis comes. Right. And these are like some real easy, straightforward solutions. Absolutely. And everybody that's listening, listening, whether you're in the U.S., Canada, Europe, wherever you're at, it is up to us to speak up and use some common sense and keep the pressure on these fucking people that have no common sense. I don't care if it's the WHO, which initially was against people using masks because it knew there weren't enough masks out there. And instead of saying, we don't have enough masks, but if you have one, you should use it. It went ahead and told everybody that you shouldn't need them. You don't need a mask. And it actually could be a bad thing. And common sense told you that was wrong. I don't care if it's president Trump saying, you know, 
um, <laughs> light rainbows up your ass might do something for you. And, and, you know, we should really look into that or, or, or maybe drinking a little bleach, you know, a little, little injection, little shot to the lungs. You know, we should really look into that. And then him walking that back, um, keep pressure on these people. We're going to be the people that change this. You know, I, I have so much hope for this next generation, but you know, we, it, it's up to us. Those of us that are in our thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, those of us that have seen a couple of administrations and the lies and the BS, it's up to us to kind of pave a better way so that these young kids can come up and really, really, you know, do the legwork that they're going to have to do because of what I call the dumbest class of politicians we've ever had on an almost global basis. Um, that, 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 that unfortunately they've inherited and they're going to have to clean up a lot of messes, but keep the pressure on people. I mean, you know, that's the one positive spin from social media, right? There's so many negative things that come along with it, but some of the positive is that, you know, I can look at United States trends right now and you know, it's hashtag Trump is not a doctor, hashtag Trump disinfectant, hashtag Congress pass UBI, you know, all, all things that deserve attention and deserve focus. And that's my rant. Back to the markets real quick. I want to encourage everybody to follow Millrock Resources this week. They are expecting assay results from their big, huge land package in Alaska. Um, if they hit, the stock's going a lot higher. It's the first hole, I believe, that they're expecting assays from. They drilled a hole and a half before they had to stop drilling. I understand they may start drilling in mid to late May again. But in the meantime, there is an assay, a hole pending that Again, if it hits, it could be on a significant discovery there that will send the stock higher. It is exploration, so that comes with the disclaimer. If it doesn't hit, the stock might pull back a little bit, but definitely something to keep an eye on. Tremendous land package. Huge. Fantastic one. The best. The most beautiful. A lot of people tell me this, Nick. A lot of people that have seen the best land packages tell me they've never seen a land package like this. It's, it's, it's incredible. You go there and you could just see it. All directions. I turn right. I turn left. I look forward. I look backwards. It's just tremendous. Tremendous. It really is incredible. <laughs> Don't drink bleach, people. I'm Gerardo Del Real along with Mr. Nick Hodge. This was episode 67 of Bizarro World. Wear a mask. Keep your ass at home and keep away from people, everyone. I don't care See what ya. your governor tells you. See ya.